The China and Africa podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Africa China Reporting Project at Wits University in Johannesburg. The ACRP promotes balanced, considered reporting on Africa China relations through innovative training programs held throughout the year. More information at africachinareporting.co.za. Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of the South African Institute of International Affairs, who is normally in Johannesburg, South Africa, but today joins me all the way on the other side of the world here in China. Very good evening to you, Kobus from Beijing. Good evening. It's so exciting. We have an all-China podcast today for the first time. This is the first, yes, this is the first all-China podcast. And you and I were in Johannesburg and we did an all-Joburg podcast. So I guess it's only fair and fitting now that we're both together in China. Yes, yes. Together in two different cities. (laughs) Together in the country, not quite in the city. Next week, you'll come down to Shanghai. So you are in China for uh, what's called a think tank forum, a conference. Uh, We're going to talk about that. But before we get to what you're doing here in China, because it is absolutely fascinating, and I'm really jealous of the fact that I can't join you on all the outings and excursions that you're doing. Um, I want to give a little bit of a shout out to some folks who uh, have just been so nice to us in the program over the past couple weeks. Uh, First to Rulaki, who is a listener from Toronto, who was on a three-day trip passing through China and took some of her time on her vacation to come and see me and say hello and tell us how much she enjoys the show. And we spent two hours at Starbucks talking about China, Africa. Also, Siyu, who's going to be a Schwartzman scholar in Beijing, up there where you are, Kobus, right now. Uh, she too passed through and she said that we were part of the inspiration for her starting her own Women and Gender Issues in China podcast. So we are humbled by that. And it's just so really exciting to meet you guys. And so if you are passing through Johannesburg or through Shanghai, you know, send us an email. It's not a guarantee that we're always available. But when we are available, we'd love to hang out with you and grab a coffee and just kind of catch up and meet you and hear about what your thoughts are. And it was really just exciting to meet uh, to meet those folks. I also want to do a very, very quick apology. Uh, we didn't have a show last week. It was for no fault of our own, but Cobus was traveling, a guest canceled, and it's just kind of what happens in the summer months when it gets a little bit complicated. So we do 50 shows a year. We take one week off for Christmas, and usually there's one kind of goof week in the summer, and this was it. So we are back. And so we just thought it'd be a great opportunity since Cobus is here in Beijing, and he's with a lot of African scholars. He's engaging with a lot of Chinese academics as well to kind of hear more about what he's doing and also about the program and to kind of reflect on where we are now in China-Africa relations three months ahead of what will probably be the most important summit for 53 African leaders, Kobus. I'm not sure if uh, Swaziland is going to make it in time to to get to 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 Beijing. (laughs) (laughs) There's still time left. You know they're negotiating hard to flip Swaziland (laughs) from Taiwan to China, and uh, they'll get it right. They'll try and get it right up to the last minute. So, Let's just dive into what you are doing in Beijing and tell us a little bit about the conference before we get into some of the issues that you're talking about. So I'm at uh, what's called the China-Africa Think Tank Forum, which is a big gathering of think tanks mostly. So some of them are related to, to universities and some of them are not. And they're all, they're all together, like roughly half of them are Chinese think tanks and the rest of them are, are dotted across the African continent. And they essentially come together um, in this big, a big meeting. It's not really a 
conference as such. It's it's a lot of micro presentations, all within a very kind of controlled. Uh, official environment um, and they then they, they do all of these short presentations and then they, they kind of boil them down into into talking points essentially which are then going I think essentially feeding into the Chinese government's line uh, or like the set of topics that they're, that they're interested in discussing around FOCAC in some kind of nebulous way it feeds into the FOCAC process um, and uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm here doing this and then I'm also doing Doing research uh, for Sire, and then I'm also attending another conference next week, which is which is on peace and security. Okay, so tell me a little bit about the people who are there, the scholars, the academics that are joining you. This both from the African side and the Chinese side. Are they old? Are they young? Are they male? Are they female? Do they, you know, paint me a picture of of what the crowd is like and who who the attendees are? They're all pretty senior, um, so they they are they're mostly in the in middle age and uh, and um, they tend to be heads of of think tanks or or kind of senior researchers, and so the, I think the idea is that they are that they are really representing kind of the the voice of the establishment in lots of ways, um, and that they are also they have this kind of um, seniority that can then also. Put, add gravity to whatever they're saying, you know, um, in 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 an official capacity. They also they they tend to this more men than women, but but many women. And from the African side, they really are from all over. Like you see, you see a, a development of more China studies. I think in Africa at the moment, so there is there are representatives from from China centers in the, from different African universities. One from Nigeria, one from Tanzania, some from South Africa, and then um, in on the China side, they're mostly from official think tanks, which means that they are. Either Either related to universities or related to the government, um, in some kind of official way, or both. You know, frequently in, in China, you 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 could be located with university, but also do work for the government. You know, it sounds potentially very very interesting, but it also sounds potentially incredibly boring. And and I say this because and and, and there's a little bit I'm, I'm serious about this in the sense that. Uh, think tanks in this country, in China, are heavily regulated, much like they are in the media. So it's not the same as what we would think about a think tank in, say, the West or even at SIA in Johannesburg, where there is much more unfiltered, unfettered a discussion and thought, whereas think tanks are almost extensions of official policy and public and government thinking in that sense. And so I'm, I'm interested when you have discussions with your Chinese counterparts, are you getting really just the official line or are you getting subtlety and discussion and nuance in their comments? I think, you know, it's, it's always, it's always, uh, think tank people, and, and yeah, you know, kind of, I'm relatively new to this particular field, but they, they tend to be a, a different form of diplomat frequently, or, you know, some of them have spent time in diplomacy, you know, before some then move on from think tanks to diplomacy. And so they, they tend to be diplomatic, you know, they know what, they know how to put things, you know, in in a way that don't ruffle feathers. Let me put it that way, yeah. and um, and so that that is what they do. That doesn't mean that they that they they sugarcoat things, but it's um, it's not a kind of it's not like an academic conference where you would you know where 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 there's more of an emphasis on individual flair. Um, here at, at at this kind of think tank conference, people people are there in 
official capacity. Um, and the entire forum, uh, you know, kind of one has to be clear, the entire forum is explicitly part of the FOCAC process. So, you know, that kind of, you know, if you look at on Google Images, if you see, you know, the any kind of official FOCAC event or, or also uh, uh, an official Chinese um, government spokesperson uh, news conference, um, they have the kind of blue background with the with the very kind of large type, the massive FOCAC logo on the back, you know, in front in front of a lectern. It's it's that um, you know. So so yeah. it's, it's explicitly this this is an explicit Chinese government uh, you know event. So so it, it you know it follows sure. that that kind of line. So let's put a little bit of context to what's been happening in China over the say I'd say it's about a month month and a half. Uh, so for those of you not familiar, FOCAC is the Forum on China-Africa Cooperation. It is every three years, basically, is an enormous summit. And it's really, I think, the largest summit of African leaders that happens every periodically. I don't think there's any other grouping that pulls together more African leaders in one space at one time than FOCAC. And this year, it's going to be in September in Beijing. And part of that, what's happening now is we're seeing in China, mostly in Beijing, I would assume, but these conferences and these forums. So a couple weeks ago, there was the China-Africa Media Forum, where they brought journalists over from Africa to experience China, to learn about China, to participate in these kind of seminars like what Cobus is doing. Uh, right now, actually, parallel to what Cobus is doing on the Think Tank Forum is a defense ministers uh, forum. There are 50 African defense ministers or military chiefs in Beijing right now. It's interesting because you probably wouldn't know it. There's no flags on the street, but this is probably a one of the largest gatherings of African defense ministers anywhere in the world. And that's going on. And so we're seeing this frenetic activity now leading up to the next three months, leading up to FOCAC. Uh, about, you know, different sectors and segments of African society that are coming to Beijing. Oftentimes they're coming at the expense of the Chinese government, which is a nice thing because it is incredibly expensive now in China and to fly here and to stay here. So in that sense, it's pretty cool that all these people are getting to come here. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the African side, Kobus, and this is reflecting on your own experience as well. You've been to China several times. Uh, it sounds like maybe some of the scholars are relatively new, uh, possibly coming to China, but some of them have probably been coming back back and forth for decades. Uh, what's the kind of the temperature in the room on among your African colleagues? Most of them are are veterans of the China Africa space. So some some of them are here for the first time, but a lot of them you know that this is what they do. You know, for so so they 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 tend to be in and out of China a lot. Um, so they are used to the process, um, and they and they are you know they they're engaged in China Africa issues. So that so that is what that is what they're focusing on. In in relation to the to the the different kind of forums going on, I should also point out that this is. This isn't unique to the China-Africa space. This is essentially this is a summit economy, basically that that is that is running around different kinds of summits. So so all of these these big these big forums that are happening in the FOCAC space, they also would be happening around the G20, for example, which is also the G20 summit is this year, obviously. Um, it's every year, but, um, you know, this it's this year it's happening in Argentina. Two years ago it was in China. So they they would have a similar kind of process where you would have 
large-scale meetings, um, you know, for business leaders, for women's leaders, for civil society, and for think tanks. Um, and in fact, the, the the G20 process is actually even bigger, with more meetings, more more working groups, more papers being delivered. And so, this you would see the same thing with the BRICS conference, which is coming up in July, um, or the the Indian Ocean Rim Association conference, which is also happening this year. So it's you know it's 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 a kind of a you know, kind of global engine of people kind of moving from meeting to meeting um, and getting together talking points, you know, to, to discuss when these presidents get together for a summit. Support for this podcast comes from the Africa Channel Reporting Project at Wits University School of Journalism in Johannesburg. The ACRP provides reporting grants, workshops and other professional development opportunities for both African and Chinese journalists. Follow the ACRP on Twitter at VitsChinaAfrica or visit africachinareporting.co.za for information about grants and upcoming seminars. You know, this year feels like it should be different. And I would be surprised if, I mean, again, this is your first time doing this, so you're not going to have any ability to, to reflect back on previous years. But this year, things are different. This is... This is a, the era of Donald Trump. This is the era of uncertainty. This is the new era under Xi Jinping as uh, as permanent president. This is era of a tri- of a much stronger China, but at the same time, a China that also feels very vulnerable right now as it faces a potential trade war with the United States. There's also been you know tremendous pressure building on the Chinese about their so-called debt book diplomacy, and uh, in Africa and other countries around the world. So I'm I'm wondering if any of these anxieties or the, the, the current geopolitical state that we're experiencing both here in China and in other countries is being felt and reflected at the think tank forum among the participants there. What, are you picking up on any of that? It came up a lot more, a lot more explicitly than that. Actually, it, it came up in, in a lot of the of, of the official presentations, um, in albeit in in coded form. You know, as as everything always happens in you know in, in the China Africa space, it, it it happens in in coded discourse. But it is interesting that there was um, there's a new theme that I well you know who knows if it's new, but I spotted it you know for the first time this, this time. So it's a repeated mention of of the phrase um, a community. With with a shared future. So that is, you know, a kind of, a, and, and it comes up in different versions. So, so you know, it essentially is a, a global community with a shared destiny. Um, and that, that comes up a lot suddenly. And, and it seems to me that it, it is a kind of a coded way of, of positioning the China-Africa and, and therefore also South-South relationship as the new center of globalization. If it also, sorry to interrupt ahead, you, but it also might be a slap at, at, at Donald Trump and his more yeah, unilateralist yeah. positions. And China is saying we are an open multilateralist, uh, you know, partner, which, again, is is rather a complex issue in China because it's never black or white. China, at the one hand, is saying it wants to be have a cooperative multilateral world. But the other hand, still has a highly controlled economy that has a lot of barriers to entry. And, uh, and China doesn't necessarily play nice with all of its neighbors in the region. So there are... You know, everything with China is really all about the contradictions and understanding the contradictions. But certainly it seems like Xi Jinping is trying to position China 
as a counterweight to American protectionism and that China is not going to play by this. And that does seem interesting that it's actually filtering all the way down to to the think tanks. Um, You are, you know, today you said you went on a a junket, on a tour. And it's funny because when you told me this afternoon that you were going on on a tour, I kind of thought like, oh, well, you're going to go see the Great Wall or you're going to do something (laughs) like that. And it actually turns out you went to a free trade zone and looking at special economic zones, but particularly for high tech. And this is so interesting because just this past week in Djibouti, they launched their free trade zone. And a lot of these special economic zones, free trade zones, whatever you want to call them in Africa, are in fact modeled on uh, what the Chinese have done in places like Shenzhen, uh, here in Shanghai and other places like that. So I'm curious, talk, talk to us a little bit about the experience today uh, when you went out to the special economic zone or the free trade zone. And what was the reaction of your African colleagues who were with you along the way? We went to uh, an incubation center, which is which is in um, Dongshen, um, which is China's uh, Silicon Valley, essentially, um, and it's it's a it's a, a series of, of facilities where um, where startups are are essentially nestled and and coddled until they can stand on their own two feet, um, and. You know they 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 are very um, they're very supportive of, of of startups. It's a surprisingly supportive environment, like where they where they help uh, startups to to develop products for markets. They find them partners. They work with them, and these startups are frequently are would even be students um, or frequently actually university people who are branching off into into startups, um, and then they they essentially. These fledging companies are supported in in a in a myriad different ways, including things like providing them with desks, for example, um, all the way to them actually launching into the market. Um, and one of their big success stories um, is a company which I'm now blanking on the name on, which uh, it produces a form of you know it it looks very similar to the Segway uh, electric scooter, you know, kind of it's it's also a two wheel kind of hoverboardy kind of scooter that you lean forward and you move forward on. Um, that that's one of the it's 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 had big success in in different global markets it's one of their their success stories so so um and it's all in this uh kind of complex of of different kinds of new new industries which which include things like hydroponic agriculture for example so it's it's all very focused on ecological development and on new technology that sounds absolutely fascinating and something that I would actually love to see myself. I'm just curious, what do you think the point of today's excursion was? Why did they bring a bunch of think tank scholars out to see a high-tech incubation park? And what, do you, what did they want you to take away from that? I think they want to take us to take away the the centrality of special economic zones um, in in China's development. Um, the that is something that that was also a big theme throughout throughout the the think tank forum, um, where there was you know they there's this double message from China always in in, in this in this respect. Um, on the one hand, they say that they don't they don't suggest that any that other countries take on China's development model as is you know kind of because it was specifically for china dealing with chinese circumstances 
But then after that, they say that, you know, a, a whole bunch of mechanisms that China use in its development would actually be very good for other countries to adopt. And special economic zones is is uh, is number one in, in that. Um, and, you know, so, so China has been very efficient in arranging special economic zones in different parts of Africa. And a lot of the ones that had been lagging behind are now online. Um, so there were all reports about uh, economic zones in uh, in Nigeria, for example, that are now actually up and running. And of course, the, the ones in Ethiopia are, are the, the kind of jewel in the crown. And I think it was um, an example of how, how China uses uh, special economic zones to incubate new technologies. And also kind of a showcase of, of, of these, this um, Made in China 2025, um, you know, high technology program, which the Trump administration is, is very against. It's a kind of a showcase of how China is leading in different kinds of new technology areas. Yeah, so that Made in China 2025 program are basically all of the key industries of the future that China is hoping to use to advance its economy. So it's artificial intelligence, it's electric vehicles, it's autonomous vehicles, it's robotics, and, and a lot of those kind of areas which are so important, especially for China as it's facing its demographic bomb because its population is actually declining and graying. And so it's trying to use automation and artificial intelligence to help spur economic growth and keep it going. You, you know, Kobus, you've talked about how the Chinese have promoted this idea of, of special economic zones, yet everybody that you and I have spoke with over the years who is familiar with those special economic zones in Africa, whether it's in Namibia, Mauritius, Nigeria, and even Ethiopia, most recently we spoke with a journalist from The Guardian, um, there's really been mixed results. And I just wonder if there's a sensitivity on the Chinese side to understanding that it takes more than building a park with, you know, good infrastructure, but there is a governance question, there's a tax question, there's a labor issue, there's a supply chain factors that have to all be weighed into it. And there's a whole ecosystem that supports these special economic zones. And those work extraordinarily well here, but may not translate well to Africa. Did you get any sense of that, maybe that hesitation that this model doesn't transfer as well as it maybe the Chinese hope it will? There was a lot of, of talk about what's needed to to make it work. Um, a lot of they, they were quite explicit about about the different different aspects of of Chinese governance and electricity provision and data networks and and so on that that you know that that all go into making a special economic zone work. And so that essentially becomes a kind of a laundry list for for African countries, you know, on their way to development. Um, so it's not. I don't think it's necessarily hesitance. It's it's more um, a realistic view that it, that that pulling this off is not easy, um, and that you know that that it, it takes it, it takes a full commitment um, from a government and a kind of a marshalling of resources. That I, I think that they were quite clear that that you know many African countries don't necessarily have all those resources in place to marshal. Um, but in cases where they do um, and where it makes business sense, like, for example, in Ethiopia, um, there, there's a whole bunch of Chinese tools, um, you know, kind of ready to be used. Um, and the, the Chinese government is, is very enthusiastic about, you know, about rolling them out. Of course, all of those things come at a price. Um, and so the issue of debt did come up, um, mostly in relation to... Um, um, 
to saying that that the Chinese position on African debt has been misconstrued in 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 the Western press. Um, you know, the Western press narrative that that China essentially uses debt as a kind of a form of strategic leverage. Um, a lot of people uh, from the Chinese Academy came out against that. Um, and saying that, you know, making the point that China is actually a lot more cautious about debt and a lot more concerned about about debt sustainability than they get credit for, which I think is probably true. You know, that, that's how that's how I tend to see it. You know, but it's it with within that there there is it it comes back to the story that look China developed. They were extremely successful in developing. They did it in this particular way, um, and they feel that you know some of some of the some of the ways that they did it is specific to China, but some of them are scalable to different environments, and and this is how they feel it should be scaled. Um, you know, and and then it becomes a question of whether this is actually right for Africans, and I mean that Africa has to decide. Yeah, I mean, let's not forget that many of your African think tank colleagues, as you said, they are older. Uh, when they were children, China was as poor or poorer than their home countries in Africa today. And in their lifetime, just in the past 25 years, China has gone from being one of the poorest countries in the world to the second largest economy in the world. It's it's really a remarkable journey. And it must be very profound for them as they're seeing kind of what Beijing is like. I mean, it's hard to explain how a country in 25 years can transform from being uh, rustic, backwards, developing to modern, advanced. And I mean, Beijing is not anywhere near as modern as Shanghai is, but still it is, uh, you know, I was there 30 years ago and it is just mind blowing the transformation that's gone on. So what Cobus has been doing is part of this, again, this run up to the forum on China-Africa cooperation that happens in September. Um, it sounds like there's a lot of enthusiasm that's being built both, you know, among the, the Chinese and African scholars, but also we've got defense chiefs that are now in Beijing on a, I think it's like a two week, I mean, two weeks, Kobus. <laughs> They're like on a 10 day, two week junket there with the with, meeting with their Chinese counterparts. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Chinese media, I think artists are also going to be coming over. And it's really all these people to people exchanges. And so if for nothing else, Kobus, I'm hoping you're, they put you up in a nice hotel and you're getting some good food and you're getting to, to meet and see a lot of people, which is really like in this day and age, we can't take that for granted. I think it's super valuable. Yeah, it's it's a it's an amazing privilege to be here. It's it's very interesting to see to see all of these these FOCAC mechanisms in action. Um, it's massive, um, and it's 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 very interesting to see. So coming up next, we're going to have uh, another discussion about conferences, and we're going to be talking this time about uh, a big event that happened in Europe. And so we'll be having that on our next program. Cobus will still be in China, so we'll kind of continue uh, getting uh, updates from him and his adventures here in China. But this time he'll be coming down to see me in Shanghai, and it'll be interesting to get your perspective, Cobus, on the differences in the attitudes and tones between Beijing and Shanghai, because I think a lot of our listeners may not understand the subtleties, just the feeling, the the kind of the feeling in the air of Shanghai of course, being a much more commercial city, less political, uh, not as focused on arts and culture and history, whereas Beijing typically is kind of it's a it's a government center, a capital for that. So we'll have that discussion coming up next week. Again, just as I said at the top of the program, we love hearing from you. We love seeing you. We love kind of interacting with you online. All of our contact information is available on our website. By the way, a brand new website, if you haven't checked it out recently. We have redesigned the website for the first time in eight years. So we hope that you can take a visit 
uh, at ChinaAfricaProject.com. There's contact information there. You can email me directly at Eric at ChinaAfricaProject.com, and I will make sure that Kovis gets it if you're passing through Johannesburg. And of course, if you're coming through Shanghai, please do let me know. We do always love to interact and engage with our fans. So we'll be back again next week with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Until then, thank you so much for listening. The discussion continues online. Head over to facebook.com slash China Africa Project to share your thoughts on today's show. The guys are also on Twitter, where you can find Gwobas at Stadinsky or Eric at E. Orlander. And be sure to sign up for the weekly China in Africa email newsletter by going to www.chinaafricaproject.com.